Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Upfront Down Under. I have wanted to say that for such a long time. Me and Rachel are both in Australia. Of course, I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel Sullivan. Good day, mates, and welcome to part one of Upfront's World Cup preview. I can't believe we're both in the same country. It's absolute madness. I thought this day would never, ever come, but here we are. We're down in Australia, ahead of the tournament, starting on Thursday, and we've got everything you need to know about this summer's festival of footy. On today's show, can England win it all again? Could Sam Kurt lead the Aussies to victory? How will Ireland cope? And are Canada a dark course we've got all the answers so crack open a cold one and get your shrimp on the barbie and join us because the world cup is finally here Firstly, some big, big, massive news. Groundbreaking, earth-shattering news. It's finally happened. Upfront has gone global, baby. We're all on the social media platforms, aren't we, Rach? We are. We are on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on TikTok. We're on YouTube. We're probably on threads like everybody else. We are on all of them. What is this nonsense with threads? Anyway, that's right. Throughout the World Cup, Upfront is going to be the place to be. We'll be running polls and providing reaction to the matches on Twitter, sharing our best bits from the show on Instagram and TikTok for those younger under 23 type people and uploading match reaction to the best and biggest games on YouTube. The links to follow us on all of them are below in the show notes. So before you listen any further, press pause, get down there and give us a follow, but then come back. Exciting times. Right, on with the show. There's just so much to cover. There's so much to cover. There's so much going on. Even before we've kicked a proper official FIFA World Cup ball, there's just been so much going on. Um, I mean, what are you most excited for, Rach? What, what's the thing that you're kind of like dying to get to, to see, to know? Do you, do you really need to ask for that question? It's obviously the first game, Ireland playing their first ever match at a major tournament and also just the football to start. I just want to get going. You know, it feels like it's been an age since the last match I was at, which was the Champions League final way back in the beginning of June. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to kick off now. Like, come on, hurry up. I mean, I kind of felt the same way. I stepped off the plane, first time in Australia. I was absolutely buzzing, opened the doors, Brisbane, Brisbane, Brisbane. I was like, this exciting new city, rain everywhere just absolutely <laughs> shitting it down rain jumped in a taxi spoke to the taxi driver i was expecting like big buzz like he's like oh you're here for the world cup none of that i was like uh you're not gonna ask me why i'm here like you know why i've got this massive seat case so i was like i'm here for the women's world cup he was like oh didn't know it was on i was like what what is going on how could it be raining and how could the taxi drivers in brisbane not know that the lionesses are going to be playing haiti in just a matter of days it's carnage so i obviously spent 30 minutes giving a full history of what was coming up where the games were going to be and how excited we all were so i will see my taxi driver mark 
down at the first game. So there's one person <laughs> converted. Um, but we might as well tuck in. I mean, England in Group D, um, they obviously play Haiti on Saturday before taking on Denmark and then China. Um, England drew 0-0 with, with Canada in a practice game on Friday, failing to score for a third game running. This is not the England we were expecting to kind of go into this competition with. Um, obviously, it's a very different squad from the squad that we had in the Euros. And obviously, there's a massive hype around what the, the potential of the team. But to me, it doesn't feel like there's the same level of hype around England. I mean, Vigman used 21 players, but Beth England didn't feature and people were kind of getting themselves up in arms about that. I mean, what's your take? Do you think that's a kind of England for the bench the entire tournament? Do you think that's what Vigman's uh, planning on doing with her? I thought it was such a big overreaction, um, especially given the type of game that it was behind closed doors. You know, players like in their kind of lead up when they arrived in Australia, some and we've seen it with other teams were on like different training paths, like based on how when they'd landed, how they were recovering from jet lag, all that different kind of stuff, which is totally normal. Um, but for some reason, people seem to think that the reason Beth England didn't play must be because Serena Vigman doesn't like her. Um, and I'm like, Serena Vigman isn't going to bring a player to a major tournament that she doesn't trust that can go on the pitch and do a job. Um, and then later on, I think it was Emily Kyo for 90 Min who, who um, sat down with Beth England and Beth had said she'd really been struggling with jet lag. She hadn't been sleeping. That could be one of the reasons. Um, but yeah, there was a real stress about it. Uh, and I, I wouldn't worry because Vigwin ain't bringing someone that she's not willing to put on the pitch if needed. I think it was just because there was so much hype around England making the squad and re-entering the Lionesses again. I think everyone was expecting that, okay, she's going to be able to get some game time, you know, especially in a, you know, the last the last kind of friendly game sort of leading up to, you know, the competition starting. So I was surprised that she didn't get a little bit of a run out, even if it was just, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes just to get her into that sort of competitive World Cup mentality. But I mean... It, it is a little bit worrying that obviously Beth England's benched and we were not scoring. I mean, what, why do you think that's happening? We just seem to not be able to find the back of the net at the moment. Yeah, and that's like that's a tough one. I mean, when you look at the games that it's happened in, like the Australia game just wasn't a good game. I just didn't think England played well, first and foremost. Um, I'd call it a shit the Portugal show. game, yeah, well, quite. I was being polite. Um, the Portugal game felt like one of those games where first half wasn't brilliant and then the longer they didn't score the more stress they got about not scoring because it wasn't for want of creating chances um and then the Canada game I'm less worried about when you've got rolling subs it's so disruptive like it's it's hard like we're already we already have a team with kind of relatively new relationships in the squad um and they're building those relationships and it, that takes a little while but when you have rolling subs that's just like constantly breaking up that kind of rhythm that you might build so actually the Canada one didn't really worry me that much. What about you? Are you a little bit more concerned? Yeah, I think um, the game against Haiti, I think everyone's obviously expecting England to pick up, um, you know, the, the, the points and to, to start sort of creeping their way up the table and, and, and cementing themselves there. But for me, I think, you know, we were speaking to Danny last week or a couple of weeks back and she was kind of saying like, they've got this mentality that, you know, they're the underdogs. They, you know, they're not in this competition. No one's expecting anything for them. And I think, you know, it only takes a, a team like Haiti to kind of like, you know, build a barrier to block and a team like England who aren't scoring any goals at the moment to kind of have that drought and then to all of a sudden be, be knocking up a draw against a team like Haiti, which obviously like sets you back quite a way. And I think the team just seemed to be lacking confidence in front of goal. Um, and that's surprising when you've got so much firepower up top. I mean, defensively, that's where everyone seems to be sort of having the most concerns. But if you're not scoring, you're not winning games, you, you might be drawing at best. So 
for me, I just don't feel like there's that kind of like solid foundation, that base that we can say, we've had this good run of games, we're going into the tournament full of confidence. I think it's going to be playing on the players' minds that they've gone this length of time without without finding the back of the net. I think as well, I feel like the answer is the number 10 role. And I think that's what Fran Kirby provided. She was very, very good at unlocking defences like that. And I'm not sure Elatoon is... Uh, is is provo- is doing what Frank Kirby say was able to do, but I mean, who can? Frank Kirby's amazing, so I'm not. It's not a diss on Elatoon, um, but I think when England played Portugal, for example, and I spoke about that this last time, when Lauren Ten, Lauren James stepped Lauren Ten, when Lauren James stepped into that ten role, she seemed to do a very good job of of unlocking that defense and finding those passes, and I think. I'd really like to see her in the 10 role. I don't know if we will, but that for me could be the answer to playing a team that will maybe bank up. Okay, and are you still sticking with Daly up top or do you think Russo might get a look in for that first game? What are your thoughts? I personally would start Daly. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be worried if Russo started though. Um, so, that, you know, it's again, it's not a diss. Like, it's, there's so many good players. I just, I think the form Daly's in, I appreciate that... England haven't scored in three games, but the form that Daly's in, she's coming off a season where she's effectively getting a goal a game. So it just makes sense. It's logical to start a player like Daly. Okay. All right. Well, I've got to agree with you. Um, yeah, I said from the outset, I, I would, despite my feelings about Russo and how personally invested I am in her future, I would 100% be starting daily. Um, but yeah, I mean, England take on Haiti in that first game. Um, Haiti's multi dominate uh, will be an exciting one to watch. She had a great season for Reims, scoring 14 and will play for Leon next season. So yeah, she's really stepping up her game. Um, hyped as the best young player in the world. Uh, I mean, we obviously spoke to uh, Danny Etienne a few weeks back uh, and she spoke about how they'll approach the country's first World Cup in 40 years. Um, yeah, so scroll back in the upfront feed to listen to that. Um, but obviously they do have some, there are some concerns around the Haiti squad. It's not been an uncontroversial tournament for them as it has with a lot of other federations. Um, Haiti's FA president's ban um had taken the attention off their achievements when we spoke to her last. Um, there was a lot going on behind the scenes, so we'll see. But also, I think that's the fear that I kind of spoke about. They're a team who have nothing to prove. They're a team that have got a lot going on behind the scenes and will probably want to kind of do the absolute best to kind of show the country that the focus is on them rather than the, the kind of controversy and scandal that, that seems to be engulfing a lot of the, uh, the federations. So for me... That game is going to be bloody huge. This is not going to be England turning up and walking away like with a guaranteed kind of, um, you know, couple of three points to get themselves to the top of that table. So watch the hell out. But Rachel, I'll see you at the game. That's going to be mad. Um, I know. Yeah, we're going to I be can't the, wait. the same city on the other side of the planet. Like, I miss you, mate. Like, we're in the same country and you're still bloody miles away. Can't wait to be the third wheel with you and Soph. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I know we're... So excited to be um, in the same country, but with Australia being so big, you're still a plane, a plane ride away. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. Say hi to Sophie for me as well. I saw her walking across in the background before. I will um, indeed. I do miss her as well uh, as your better half. Um, England also take on Denmark. Uh, we think they're going to be England's biggest bloody rivals for that top spot. Peniel Harder back to her best, um, but they can't just rely on her. I mean, we saw sort of from last year there there doesn't seem to be a sort of backup plan if they can't find Peniel but Arsenal's Catherine Cole looks a promising addition uh, and listeners will probably know West Ham's Emma Snell and Everton's uh, Karen Holmgaard as well sort of you know all the ones to watch as well I mean Rach have you got any concerns about about Denmark I feel like that is the game that's going to 
be the defining moment between the top spot and the second spot. Yeah, and I think as well, they'll have learned a lot from that Euros. I mean, they would know having Pernilla Harder in their midfield as their best player, that people, if people can stop the ball getting to her, then they've got a problem. But I feel like Spain did a very good job of that. Germany did a brilliant job of that, of stopping the ball getting to her. So they'll have worked on alternatives. They'll have worked on what to do um, when that happens, not if that happens. Um, now, I know they lost to Spain there in a, in a friendly 2-0, but before that, in the lead up to this, like they beat Japan, they beat Sweden. Um, this is B without Pinella Harder, um, and and they beat Uruguay and they beat Norway. So they're on a little bit of a of good form, um, and obviously having Pinella Harder's back is going to be massive for them. And I think they've been very carefully managing her uh, in the lead up to this tournament to make sure she is in fine form. So. Yeah, that's that's the the worry, that's the nervousness. But equally, a lot of these players play against Pernilla Harder week in, week out um, in the WSL. So at least there's some knowledge about her and, and what she's like. Well, she's definitely been on flying form coming back to you know to to be Chelsea sort of at the back end of last season. So I do feel like um, yeah, I mean on a good day, on a good day, she's going to cause some concerns for uh, for England. But I will stop going on about that because I would just manifest the fear. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Right, on to your favourite group. Is that fair to say, Rach? Is it your favourite group? My, the group most B? worrying group? Uh, I call it the group of controversy. Um, three out of the four nations in that group have had massive issues with their federation, so I feel like it's chaos central. Um, starting with Ireland, uh, they take on host Australia in the opening game on Thursday before playing Canada and then Nigeria. Um, their warm-up game against Colombia on Friday was abandoned after 20 minutes. An FAI statement said, and this is the most, I mean, I didn't watch the game. I watched our clips of it afterwards. And the FAI statement, the game became overly physical and it was decided following consultation with the match officials to end the game. I have not ever seen that take place. I've not ever seen match officials band together and say, there's so much aggravation physical aggression uh going on here that the, the, the match is not is not safe to continue i mean rach what, what was your take on that because that's that was concerning um especially with the denise o'sullivan injury yeah that was a big concern when i saw that come out i think when we saw that she'd been taken off to hospital there was obviously huge fear there that we would lose her she is a talisman in that team and <clears throat> if we lost her it would be a huge, huge, I mean, it's going to be a hard battle anyway, but to lose someone like her in midfield will be a huge problem. Um, now, there's positive reports from camp that hopefully she will be back for the Australia game. I feel like she's the kind of player she'll do with Katie McCabe. Um, she'll do whatever she needs to do to get ready for that game. And I'm, I'm sure there's many a candle lit in Ireland at home for her to make sure that she does. Um, but Including yeah, very bizarre. Dance. And I think, well, obviously, I mean, there's no question about that. There's just a constant candle being lit for the whole tournament, I think. Um <laughs> But no, in terms of the, the physicality, I think 
when you say we've never seen this before, I think, you know, normally pre-tournament friendlies, there's like an unspoken kind of thing that like, yeah, we want to win, but obviously we're both going to this major tournament and neither of us want to come out of this injured. And, and even the Australia-France game, there were some challenges and argy-bargy going on in that. And you're thinking like, really? Like that tackle on Salma Basha, for example, was so like, just seemed so unnecessary. The 96th minute, she was nowhere near the goal. Australia were in the lead. Like, so, you know, sometimes I guess players get so caught up in the moment and, and so kind of keen to make their mark. Um, you can understand that. But on the flip side, I can also understand we've seen games get away from referees before, right? We've seen games where it's, it's physical in the beginning and if it's not managed, it can, it can increase and get worse. And you sometimes think, God, how's this game going to end? How many players are going to get injured, right? We've seen that kind of thing before. And I guess if you're looking at a team like in Ireland... Um, and, you know, even um, Colombia, you know, you want to get to this major tournament. For Ireland, it's the first ever. They don't want to be risking getting injured for the sake of a bloody friendly um, and missing out on this opportunity. So the, the the clip you probably saw was the the clip of the Denise O'Sullivan tackle. And in isolation, it just looks like a bad challenge. It doesn't look like anything particularly exceptional. But what's frustrating about that clip is it's been put out like, this is the reason the Irish team wanted to stop the game, which is such bullshit because that is the culmination of obviously a number of tackles. There'd been a, a tackle on Rusha Littlejohn something like two minutes earlier where the game had to stop and it took a couple of minutes and she got back to her feet. So two yellow cards were given in, what, 19 minutes? Like you don't see that in a lot of games. You certainly don't often see a lot of cards in friendlies. Um, so I think that says a lot about how the game was going and, and you know, without actually seeing the game or the footage, we don't really know what happened but equally I can't see a team abandoning a friendly for shits and giggles either like obviously something's gone on it was very strange that Irish media were allowed in and then the last minute the Colombian Federation said they didn't want media at the game you know that was unusual and, and Vera Powell did come out and say we watched seven games of Colombia's before the, the before we played them there was no kind of evidence of that kind of play that's not something we saw them the, the bench was very calm when everything was going on so it didn't seem like it was this real het up kind of aggressive thing. Obviously, it was just that I feel like things maybe got a little bit away from perhaps the referee on the pitch and it just escalated. I think, I mean, I've, I've, it's something that I've experienced definitely in games where you think you go into them, it's going to be a simple game, nothing too out of the ordinary. The teams have never been that really aggressive towards each other. But one bad challenge then leads to the whole squad getting behind that player, starting to sort of seek revenge on the person who's committed a bad foul. And then they seek revenge and it just goes on tit for tat until, yeah, until something like something more serious happens. So I can, you can see how it does escalate and unravel. Um, but yeah, I'd never seen it. I'd never seen a, a game pulled after, after 20 minutes because it was unsafe. Safe. So bizarre. That that's um that's a feisty friendly. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, an unfriendly kind of, friendly. <laughs> yeah, the unfriendly, the, the most hatred-filled friendly I've I've um I've ever heard about. But um, I mean, Rach, what are your expectations for for Ireland in this tournament? If we're being realistic, they're not going to be lifting the World Cup trophy. But how far do you think they will go, or what kind of upsets do you think they have the potential to cause? So. I tend to look at this with quite a pragmatic head. Like, of course, when you're a fan of a team, you want to say, like, you believe they can go on and do anything and they can win everything. But, like, I'm so proud of the fact that they've made this major tournament. Like, they're already heroes in Ireland before they've stepped foot on the pitch. Um, and I like the fact that they're an underdog and I think that will that will help them that they're an underdog. They have been handed one of the hardest groups. Um, there's no two ways about it. Um, I'd like to think that maybe they could get a win, potentially. 
Uh, where that might come from, I don't know. Um, I'd love them to be able to nick a point here and there. It, I, a lot of it depends on how both teams manage the pressure in that first game. You know, there's a lot of pressure on Australia. They're expected to win it. It's the host team. They're in front of 80,000 people. You know, there's definitely more pressure on them than there is Ireland. But equally, it's a very nerve-wracking experience for the Irish team. So, you know, if there's an early goal for Australia, it's going to be a difficult battle to climb, a difficult hill for climb for Ireland. The longer they can hold out against them, I feel like the better for them. Um, and that will stress Australia as well if they're not getting the early goals. But with someone like Sam Kerr in your team, it's a, it's a worry. So if they get out of the group, that would just be incredible. Gold. But it would equally mean they would potentially face England, which would be horrendous. <laughs> and what would your allegiances be if that happened? Ireland. Oh, God. Right. Without question. Right. But obviously. <laughs> well, I mean, key players on this island squad and people that you are pinning all your hopes to on potentially getting to that Lionesses Island matchup. I mean, Katie McCabe has got to be up there. She is probably going to be the absolute physical dominance that the squad needs and the leadership from her is going to be insane. We saw so much passion for and I say passion to cover the, you know, what I, what I called assault um in there in previous episodes for, from her. Um and also Sinead Farrelly could be a nice addition too. Uh, she was called up last year over 6 years after initially retiring from football due to injuries sustained in a car accident. Um and the sexual coercion and harassment allegations she made against Paul Riley. She's only played 140 minutes of senior international football. I mean, Rach, what are your expectations for her? Do you think we'll see much of her at all? Yeah, I think I think we will. And Vera Pau said that Ireland have been waiting for a player like her. Um, her story is incredible. It's worth uh, researching or reading into. Sophie did a really good piece for The Guardian on it, so I'm obviously going to plug that. But um, it's a lovely... <laughs> I say lovely story. It's not a lovely story. It's an awful story. Um, you know, she'd played up until, as you said, until 2015, had a car accident. But what we didn't know at that time was that she had been dealing with this sexual co- coercement and, and, and harassment. harassment. <clears throat> and uh, that kind of came out later. And she was one of the first players to speak out against this. So it's amazing the kind of, while she might not have had that kind of limited impact on the pitch for Ireland yet, she's made some incredible impact off the pitch. And, and it was that, um, her speaking up um, with a couple of others that kind of set the ball rolling on, on all of that, um, the, the lid being lifted on all of that. So it's a incredible story of resilience and like coming back and she decided to come back and see how she'd get on playing football. And she got into a team of the NWSL, like she's that good. Um, so the the fact that she's made the Irish team is really special, and yeah, I think we'll see her. I think we'll see her play. All right. Well, I mean, inspiration wise, I don't think there's uh, there's, a, there's a better player out there to kind of be leading things. So um, yeah, hopefully we'll see her sort of being involved in in a in a few of the games. Um, well, we've got to talk about the host, haven't we? Since we're in their country, we? since we're sitting in right. their location. Australia. Uh, they beat France uh, 1-0 last week in their only warm-up game and looked a little bit sharp, worryingly sharp going forward, uh, but quite open at the back, which is going to be a bit of a threat. Um, the game was seemingly decided in a few minutes. France could have easily had a penalty after a foul on Eugene Le Sommer. Then Mary Fowler scored a few minutes later. Um, I mean, Rachel, a few people are pegging these as their favourites. I wouldn't go that far, but I do think they're going to progress. I think obviously being the host nation, that's got that's 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 a massive win. We saw what the kind of impact that had on on uh, in England last year. Also, they beat 
England not too long ago and destroyed our 30 game unbeaten run. Plus they've got Sam Kerr. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of pluses there. There's a lot of pluses for that. I mean, what do you think? How big a threat do you think Australia are realistically? I think they're a serious threat. Um, agreed. I'm not sure they're going to go on all the way and, and win it. Um, and if they do, that would be some feat. Um, but yeah, I think I thought the France game, the first half wasn't brilliant, um, but they changed things around a little bit in the second. And I think that made a difference. Um, I think France were really unlucky not to score. Um, they had a number of opportunities. Um, Mackenzie Arnold and goal um, did did well, making some good saves. Um, so yeah, I think they'll they'll I think they'll top the group. Um, I think they'll potentially looking at my kind of predictions potentially meet France in the quarterfinal um, and obviously having seen they beat conveniently beat France 1-0 but I also think you know France weren't aren't necessarily going all out either uh, in this friendly so it's hard to predict how that one uh, might go should that those number of games and fixtures fall that way um, but yeah I definitely think the backing of the crowd and you know the the team's really galvanized um under Gustafsson um you know and the, the Netflix documentary like it feels like a lot of people kind of understand this team and know a lot about this team and are really invested in this team and it, I think they feel that as well um and we've seen we saw in England how important that backing and that belief from your home impacts the way you play on the pitch um and I think that will be huge for them what do you reckon how do you think they're gonna fare I, I've got to say similar to you, I don't think they're going to be progressing through to semi-final stage. So I think quarter-final is probably where I'd peg them. Um, I think there is so much hype around them at the moment. I think a lot of people are excited. You can you can sense the kind of buzz in the atmosphere, uh, you know, even around Brisbane, like you're seeing all the banners and things popping up. Like there was some Sam Kerr shirts, there was the Matilda jerseys. And it, I mean, they're pretty difficult to miss. They're so bloody bright. Caitlin Ford's on the side of a massive building here in Sydney. Crazy. I, think, I do think yeah. they've got, I mean, it was only like, what, a couple of months ago that we were at the Australian Embassy and they were absolutely singing their praises. They just launched that documentary. There's, I think it's a, it's a big thing. It's a, it's a massive thing. So I do feel like it'll be interesting to see the kind of um, fan attendance, I think in the yellow jerseys, I think they're really going to stand out and pop in the, and I think that's going to make a big difference to the squad. So yeah, I do, I do think they're a big threat, but I don't think they are, they're not winners. They're, they're not winners. Not yet. Not yet. Um, among the favourites, 100%. Um, but yeah, their coach, Tony Gustafsson, is hoping for success as a head coach after winning back-to-back World Cups as Jill Ellis's assistant. Even though, obviously, they got battered 7-0 by Spain last June, they have been on a bit of a bit of a wild winning ride, uh, winning eight out of their last nine and beating, obviously, Sweden, England and Spain in the process. So you heard it here first. We think you'll get into the quarterfinals, but Tata for the semis not going to happen I'm really sorry to say that when I sit <laughs> I'm not being that savage <laughs> lovely country um, we spoke to former Matildas legend uh, Alicia Ferguson a few weeks back who talked about her time with the national team and what to expect from this generation of players scroll back down through your podcast app to find that episode right Rach Canada let's briefly touch on Canada um, 
Obviously, reigning Olympic champions, they're a serious proposition for any opponent. Uh, obviously, got, you know, massive legends. Sophie Schmidt, Christine Sinclair. I mean, she's got 3,000 international goals for the side. And that's not even me exaggerating. Um, obviously, reaching the end of their careers, um, it could be their one last chance for World Cup success. Uh, I mean, Schmidt's already said that she's going to retire after the tournament. But they do have experience across the field. Chelsea's Jessie Fleming has 115 caps and she's only... 25 25 for the love of god stop achieving at such a young age all right it's started not, at 15 it's, it's bizarre just bizarre yeah. already a decade of playing at international level <laughs> just what the hell um and also younger players even younger uh coming through like simi awoju um yeah i mean rachel what do you think for canada um yeah big threat but again i don't think the biggest it's a hard one, right? Because, you know, obviously they've all got all that stuff, um, as you touched on, going on with their federation. I will say, Irish federation, there haven't been problems there. Um, the federation has been very, very supportive. It's just been other issues that Ireland have been dealing with. But yeah, Canada have had a, a big problem with their federation and that's not great. You know, we, we spoke back in, I think, February about them trying to protest and then being, uh, they were going to be sued if they didn't play and all this kind of mad stuff that they've had to be dealing with. But equally, that can that can bring people together, that can galvanise a team, that can make them say, let's show what we can do. Um, you know, you don't sleep on the reigning Olympic champions. Uh, you do that at your peril. And they've got some, as you've touched on, some really, really experienced heads. They know how to play major tournaments. Equally exciting, young players coming through as well. Um, so it, it's it's exciting. They have they have a couple of injuries. Um, Janine Becky, Desiree Scott, uh, Jade Rose. Deanne Rose, of course, has only played a little bit of competitive football after coming back from injury. Um, so you do kind of have to bear that in mind. Um, and Olivia Smith, I don't know if you saw the call up video where she found out she was going to the World Cup. It is worth uh, digging out on Twitter. It is lovely. It'll have you in tears. Um, she was called up in late October in 2019 um, for the national team for the first time and became the youngest player ever to debut for the senior national team at 15 years and 94 days old. Bloody hell, how are they coming out with these youngsters? She she didn't replace <laughs> Jessie Fleming with that record. She replaced Jordan Hoidema in, in that. She replaced her as the youngest player and Jessie Fleming made her debut at 17. Um, so no I wonder if people like Christine Sinclair are getting so many caps. They've been playing for so long. Um, so she plays for North Toronto, uh, a semi-pro club in, in Toronto. And, and it's a lovely, when Bev sits her down, um, she obviously didn't think that this was a conversation about whether she was going or not. I think she just assumed she wasn't. And, and Bev was like, just wanted to chat, like, see if you've been getting on in camp, have you been enjoying yourself, blah, blah, blah. And, and then she's like, yeah, that's great because you're going to the World Cup. And she's like, oh. So um, it's definitely well worth a watch. So she'll be there. And it's just how they manage that big stage, I guess, the youngsters. But they've got enough very experienced heads in that squad. Um, and yeah, as I said, it's about how they're going to manage all the crap they've had to deal with. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're a definitely a threat in that group for sure. I think with the younger players, I was thinking about like why the younger players are coming through so much. And I think it's because there's so much preparation now in things like sports psychologists, obviously the strength and conditioning, the kind of physical aspects of it, but more that the emotional, um, psychological side of things. I think the youngsters are better prepared than older players into kind of getting into these positions of operating at such a high level. Um, like they're already being fed things about, like you said, like resilience, about confidence, about, you know, going out there and you have 
coaches as well who were so much more educated in terms of like how you manage the expectations of players and how you manage younger players coming through and also allowing them to make mistakes and allowing them to kind of have games where things don't go to plan so they can problem solve by themselves so I think all in all I think it is the emotional well-being of players I know we just touched on a little bit about some of the federations and how not to do things but I think when things are done right the younger players do feel like they're in an environment that's supportive um so I think they are getting these opportunities a little bit younger perhaps you touched on you know the likes of Sophie Schmidt and potentially Christine Sinclair I mean you've got like a 38 year old and a 18 year old in the same team imagine a person making a debut at 15 and having someone in their their mid to late 30s it's incredible the the span of players but I feel like there's a couple of legends we're going to see for the last time at this World Cup not just in Canada but across the teams um, and it feels like you know it, this is going to be the biggest World Cup ever it's it's the it's a good time for them to to have this be their last tournament so um, hopefully it's not the last we see of Christine Sinclair um, but it very well well might be. Yeah, you're completely... I mean, Sophie Schmidt, you've got Marta on her, like, 98th World Cup run. <laughs> She's uh, been Megan them, <laughs> Yeah, since records began has Marta been in the World Cups. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've got to touch lastly on Nigeria, uh, a federation that is going through its own issues. Loads of off-field distraction in the lead-up to the World Cup, which is not great. Uh, I mean, this is the, the, the girls' second, the Super Falcons' second World Cup, but this has been slightly marred uh, by the issues that have been going on between the Federation, uh, Randy Waldrum, uh, the head coach, and also sort of accusations about the players not being paid, Randy Waldrum not being paid. Um, apparently he's saying that he's been owed 14 months salaries uh, with some players not being paid for, for over two years. Um, a spokesperson for the Federation replied, and when you think of spokespeople, I know with like the FA and like some of the other more um, potentially... Um, sort of well-rehearsed media spokespeople, they always kind of come out of the very soft lines. You know, we are, we're withholding comment at this time, pending further investigation. We want to follow due process, whatever it is. Not the spokesman for the Nigerian Federation people. Oh no, it was no shits given type uh, commentary from him. He branded Randy Waldrum the worst coach to have handled the Super Falcons of Nigeria by a mile actual words spoken um i mean we've been sort of doing a little bit of digging with the athletic on on this story trying to figure out what's happened what's gone wrong um why this has all come to light now and i think it, it seems to have been a bit of a history uh with the nigerian players sort of some of the players wanted to speak up about it some of the players being quite scared to say anything uh with their positions on the squad being quite jeopardized um Loads of players, I think, when I've spoken up before, have been dropped from the squad or have been told that they're not going to be a part of the squad going forwards. And a lot of the players, especially the older ones, are also looking for kind of opportunities off-field after their careers have ended uh, to go into coaching and uh, management and things like that. And I think there is that fear that they say something and then that doesn't happen for them when the opportunity is withdrawn. So I think um, you can see initially there was some kind of concerns that the players weren't going to um, go to their opening match. They were saying, OK, well, we're not being paid. We're going to boycott their opening game against Canada. That seems to have now sort of the position seems to have been withdrawn with the, the captain saying that actually there was no concerns about the boycott. It was never going to be taken place, which seems like something there seems to have been some kind of coercion, maybe to backstep from that position. Um, but I think from Randy's position, it seems to be that, you know, he's not happy with the setup, the lead up to the tournament, the preparation that's gone in. Um, with the Nigerian team not really having much of a camp and Randy not really getting much of an opportunity to see the players before he selected the 23-person the squad. And then on top of that, Lauren Gregg, his kind of technical advisor and, and um, a main supporting um, 
sort of directorate role um, was sacked by the Federation. And I don't think there's any chance that she'll be coming back before the tournament starts. So, um, yeah, not not great. Really not great. A sort of mixed mash of players wanting to speak and not. A coach who's absolutely totally fucked off by the fact that he's not been paid and, and has uh, 23 players who he's not really had a chance to see that much and a, and a federation who refuses to pay people so this is definitely a team that's um coming to this competition off the back of a lot of controversy who probably have quite a lot to prove which makes me feel a little bit more fearful of them than maybe you wouldn't do before obviously they're a good side um but I mean, Rach, what are your thoughts? Do you think this is? Um, do you think the controversy sometimes helps teams um, going into competitions like this? Like they've got something to prove, they've got a cause to fight for, or do you think it's actually detracts from you know the focus of being on the pitch and, and doing the job they need to? I don't think it's a good thing, but I think teams can take those controversies and use them as fuel. I think they would. We'd all rather them not have to deal with these off-field issues. It takes so much energy. Um, for players like this who should only have to focus on one job and their job. Um, so that's probably the biggest frustration. Um, you know, these these are good teams who should be going on the world stage and being able to show what they can do. And, you know, I, I've seen people out there saying, why are these teams talking about it now? Like, you should be focusing on the World Cup. Go and focus on the World Cup and deal with it later. It's not going to be dealt with later. Without the spotlight of the world's media these federations aren't going to take them seriously and they're not going to do what they have to do. And it's it's so frustrating in the women's game to have to see players do this and stand up and speak out and use it, be using this time that should be one of the most enjoyable experiences of their life to actually fight for more. And it's not just for them, it's for those coming up behind them as well. And, you know, I have to take my hat off to players who are able to do that, who are able to juggle both. Um, because I've no doubt that Nigeria are going to go out onto the pitch and play the absolute best of their ability and knowing that they can do that and at the same time be fighting for their rights is just it's very inspirational but equally frustrating because it's not something that they should have to be doing mate i could not have said that any better of myself that was so beautifully put even you know salon <laughs> would you. be proud of that um <laughs> yeah i think you might actually give a, a run for her money um thank you so much for listening to today's episode of upfront we're back tomorrow with part two of our world cup preview featuring chat on the usa masters final world cup with brazil and some big european sides eyeing up the trophy remember to subscribe in your podcast app and get in touch with your questions in the meantime on twitter and instagram i am at morgie underscore 89 reaches at girls on the ball and the general one at upfront underscore pod See you very soon. Upfront is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.